So the overall HTM compliance framework gets a little complicated. The key isn't to necessarily memorize every single regulation related to medical equipment. The key is to really understand where to look for these regulations and understand what jurisdiction you fall under in your particular institution. When we think of regulations related to medical devices, we typically first think of the FDA, or the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA is a U.S. government agency, and its laws are published in the Code of Federal Regulations, otherwise known as CFR. The FDA is responsible for regulating the medical device market. The way in which they regulate the medical device market depends on what type of medical device is being regulated. The FDA breaks up medical devices into three classes. There's class one, there's class two, and yep, you guessed it, class three. Class one devices have very little or low risk associated with them when it comes to use on a patient or risk to the users of the device. So these class one devices are subject to what's referred to as general controls. Class two devices have a higher criticality and have more risk associated with the use in a clinical setting to the patients or users of that device. Therefore, class two devices are also subject to those general controls as well as additional special controls. And class three devices are the highest risk devices and are subject to additional scrutiny when it comes to regulating the market associated with them. Let's start with general controls. So the general controls are the very basic controls associated with the branding, the labeling, the registration, the listing, the licensing around medical devices. It talks a lot about how to keep records and reports and guidance around the notification of repair, replacement, and refunds, and talks about pre-market notification. Without going into detail on all those, we're going to focus on one particular aspect of general controls, which is referred to as good manufacturing practices or current good manufacturing practices, often abbreviated as GMP. The good manufacturing practices is really defining a quality system that needs to be in place for any medical devices that are brought to market. This quality system includes not only the manufacturing process of the devices and the marketing process of the devices, but also the post-market surveillance of the devices after they've been released for clinical use. So remember, the general controls, including the good manufacturing practices apply to all medical devices. Another term that is associated with the FDA is the term pre-market approval, abbreviated PMA. In order for a manufacturer to bring a class three and some class two devices to market, they need to have some sort of substantial scientific review to ensure the safety and effectiveness of the device. A PMA usually requires full clinical trials to actually prove that the device is safe and effective. As I said, the PMA may apply to class 3 or class 2 devices typically, 
there are some exceptions to that if there is already a device on the market that has the same technical and clinical characteristic and intended use of the device that's being brought to market. If there is substantial equivalence to something currently on the market, the manufacturer may not need to follow the full pre-market approval process, but can submit a 510K, which basically declares that that device has a substantial equivalent and does not need to follow the PMA process. Once that is submitted to the FDA, the FDA will clear that submission based on the information provided from the manufacturer. Regardless of whether a device goes through a PMA process or through the 510K process, it still needs to follow those good manufacturing practices. The way the FDA defines the good manufacturing practices through a quality management system, sometimes referred to as a QMS. The quality management system that the FDA typically uses refers to the ISO 13485 Medical Device Quality Management System Standard. One aspect of the quality management system is monitoring devices that are currently on the market, looking for patterns of failure or misuse, and potentially closing the loop on resolutions to those failures or misuse of the devices. This is done through the recall process. The FDA may issue, in partnership with the manufacturer, various levels of recalls. Class 1 recalls are urgent and life-threatening. Class 2 are serious, with corrective action required. And Class 3 recalls are advisory, and typically are just resolved with communication and documentation. So that's an overview of the FDA in a very small nutshell. But what else do we have to think about once the medical device is on the market? Here's where we're going to talk about the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS. So Medicare is a federal insurance program. CMS exists to administer the standards and compliance aspects of these programs. So in order to participate in the Medicare and Medicaid federal insurance programs, healthcare providers and organizations providing care to patients have to comply with certain level of standards. One tricky nuance about CMS is that, yes, CMS is codified in federal law. However, it is technically voluntary in order to comply with CMS standards because it is based on whether you choose to participate in that insurance program or not. If you choose to not accept Medicare and Medicaid patients, then you will not get reimbursement from CMS as an insurance provider. So yes, CMS is codified in federal law, so it is a regulation in that sense, but it is a voluntary program to participate in. The catch is, is that many healthcare organizations get a substantial amount of their revenue from CMS programs, so they can't afford to not participate. Therefore, many organizations consider compliance with CMS standards as a requirement or as a regulation that they need to abide by. CMS itself doesn't typically provide the oversight within each individual state. The state departments of health typically provide the oversight on behalf of CMS. So CMS empowers the state 
to monitor and govern the CMS program. This can often be confusing because states also have their sets of rules and regulations that they have to govern on top of governing the standards related to CMS. So sometimes a clinician could come in and say, oh, CMS is here, and someone else could say the state is here. And sometimes the state is here, but they're not here for a CMS survey. Or sometimes the state is here and they're here for both the CMS survey and the state survey. So it becomes complicated. You can't just ask the question of whether the state is here or not. You have to ask the question of whether the state is here on behalf of a CMS survey or on behalf of itself, or is it a combination of the two? From a CMS perspective, the surveys and the standards should be uniform nationally because it is the same CMS program that is applied uniformly across the nation. So every standard is applied in the same way. CMS provides training and support to the states in order to promote that standard and consistent practice. That's not to say there can't be variation based on who the individuals are that are surveying. Governing bodies can vary from surveyor to surveyor based on how they interpret the program. But in general, CMS should be consistent across all states. Now, when it comes to the State Department of Health and their specific rules and laws and regulations associated with that state, those can vary state by state. Now, as I mentioned, the state can use the same survey that is a compliance visit or audit to a clinical setting. They can use that same survey for both the federal CMS compliance as well as their state compliance, but they have to treat the results and the findings as two separate surveys. So they would provide one report related to CMS and they'd provide one report related to the state regulations. So CMS itself doesn't typically provide the surveys and inspections associated with its program. It could be a hospital organization not participating in Medicare and Medicaid, therefore it wouldn't require a survey at all or the state could be providing that survey and oversight on behalf of CMS, or there are designated organizations that are considered deemed and qualified to survey on behalf of CMS. Therefore, if you follow their program and you pass their inspections, you are also passing the CMS inspections. The three primary deemed status organizations are the Joint Commission, HFAP, which is Healthcare Facilities Accreditation Program, and DNV. The most common one that we talk about in the HTM industry is the Joint Commission. However, HFAP and DMV have very similar programs with slightly different variations on how they accomplish the CMS standards. These three organizations provide an accreditation. So successful accreditation basically qualifies you for CMS reimbursement. That's not to say that these organizations couldn't provide a successful accreditation visit and then following close behind, the state on behalf of CMS or CMS itself may come in and reevaluate to validate that these organizations are indeed holding their customers to the standards of CMS. 
that is part of the CMS and the state's quality control process to validate that these deemed organizations are indeed providing the product that they have defined and agreed to. Within the programs of these deemed status organizations, you have to define a program that shows how you manage your medical equipment. We typically refer to this as an MEMP, which is Medical Equipment Management Plan, or sometimes referred to as Medical Equipment Management Program. There's other terminology for this, but this seems to be the most common. An MEMP basically does four things. Number one, you say what you do. Number two, you do it. Number three, you measure it. And number four, you improve it. So you say what you do, that basically means you have policies and procedures that define what your program looks like. Number two, it's not good enough to just write it down in a policy, you actually have to demonstrate that you're actually doing it. And then the number three was measure it. You have to have some sort of performance measure to get your baseline and measure of success of your program so that it can be quantitative, not just qualitative. And then you have to have a process for reviewing those policies and procedures, reviewing how you're performing and achieving your program, reviewing your measures, and somehow putting some sort of performance improvement program in place and improve on it. That is the basic idea of an MEMP. A good reference for what an MEMP looks like is the AMI standard EQ56. One important aspect defined by federal law is the Safe Medical Devices Act, otherwise known as the SMDA. This requires reporting from manufacturers and device users if an incident with that device involves death, serious harm, or potential harm. This is an example of a federal law that applies uniformly across the United States and also has aspects that apply to not only manufacturers but also device users. Not everything defined in federal law, such as the FDA regulations, apply to the device users. Some things are more specific for manufacturers. But this is an instance where it is a requirement that needs to be understood by both the manufacturers and the device users. If a healthcare organization experiences an incident with a medical device, under the Joint Commission Program for Accreditation, they refer to that as a sentinel event. The Joint Commission defines a sentinel event as a patient safety incident that reaches a patient and results in any of the following. Death, permanent harm, or severe temporary harm, and intervention is required to sustain life. If a medical device incident were to occur within an organization, the Joint Commission would call that potentially a sentinel event. If it's not medical device related, you don't need to report it under SMDA. If it was medical device related, the next question is, did it cause serious injury or death? If it didn't cause either, you may just report that to the manufacturer as part of your normal reporting process. If it causes serious injury, the device user or hospital organization is required to report that issue to the manufacturer. And from there, the manufacturer has to follow their SMDA guidelines and their quality management system to address that situation. 
if you determine that the medical device related incident caused a death, the medical device user or hospital organization is required to report that death to both the manufacturer and to the FDA. Reporting to the FDA would be through the MedWatch form 3500. Now stepping back, in the case of a serious injury where you're required to report it to the manufacturer, if you don't know who the manufacturer is or if the manufacturer no longer exists for some reason, then the device user organization will report directly to the FDA. A healthcare organization's medical equipment management program has to contain policies and procedures that define the preventative maintenance program. Preventative maintenance is also known as scheduled maintenance and are the defined procedures that have to be done on a regular basis as defined by the manufacturer of the medical device. Manufacturers, third-party service providers, and hospital-based service organizations need to follow the manufacturer's published procedures for their PM program. They have to achieve completion of the required procedures within the defined time frame of the MEMP. Compliance must be achieved at 100%. For instance, if a certain device has a preventative maintenance schedule that is done on an annual basis, and your MEMP defines the due date of that particular device to be the month of January, then that PM would need to be done during the month of January in order for it to be compliant. There are some exceptions to following manufacturer published procedures, which is referred to as an alternate equipment management program. You can deviate from the manufacturer's procedures based on a risk-based assessment, field experience, actual utilization of equipment, and historical data. However, you have to have proof of that data and documentation of that justification in order to show that an AEM is appropriate. You cannot use an AEM for imaging equipment or equipment that's considered high risk or critical. A relatively new aspect of medical device regulations is related to IT and its impact on medical devices. Many IT organizations follow a framework called ITIL, I-T-I-L, which stands for Information Technology Infrastructure Library. Essentially what it is, is a set of policies and procedures and standard practices for managing IT technology, hardware and software in a controlled manner that not only manages the risks of utilizing that technology, but also the risks associated with securing that technology and the risks and impacts of changing or upgrading or modifying the various components of the IT infrastructure. So whereas medical equipment management is handled through an MEMP, and if an IT organization is handling their infrastructure through the idle process, there has to be some overlap and harmony between the two methodologies. Unfortunately, that doesn't always occur, and there are sometimes conflicts between the methodology from an IT perspective versus from a medical equipment management perspective. One potential bridge to that gap is the IEC 80001 standard that helps us manage the risks associated with medical devices on a hospital network. It's an international standard by ANSI, AMI, and IEC. It gives us guidelines and framework, 
but not really detailed procedures. So it's open to the organization's interpretation of how they apply these guidelines in this framework. This is primarily a voluntary standard. The only exception would be in cases where it may be adopted by state or local governments as a regulation. We talked about a quality management system as it refers to the FDA process and the manufacturing and marketing of medical equipment. But quality management systems also apply to healthcare technology management-based service organizations. There were a series of workshops and meetings and discussions around refurbishing, reconditioning, rebuilding, remarketing, remanufacturing, and servicing of medical devices performed by third-party entities and original equipment manufacturers. That title became pretty long and people frantically were looking for a shorter way to say that. The FDA hosted a series of workshops and discussions and the original title of these discussions was Refurbishing, Reconditioning, Rebuilding, Remarketing, Remanufacturing, and Servicing of Medical Devices Performed by Third-Party Entities and Original Equipment Manufacturers. That is a mouthful. And now, typically people refer to this as the right to repair debate. Essentially, manufacturers are held to, as we described, a quality management system where they define policies and procedures of how they maintain and manage equipment in the market. Historically, third-party service organizations and hospital-based organizations had the ability to deviate from procedures defined by the OEM based on their field experience and documentation. That is still possible under the guidelines of an AEM, although there is a little bit more rigor around the ability to deviate from manufacturer's procedures. However, it's still a debate because from a manufacturer perspective, they're trying to hold to the requirements that are established through their FDA quality management system. So an important effort is underway to establish some sort of quality management system that is in harmony between the manufacturers, third-party service organizations, and hospital-based service organizations. Almost all quality management systems are based on the ISO 9001 standards, and particularly good manufacturing practices are based on the ISO 1345, which is the medical device quality management system. HTM programs define their quality systems through their MEMP, and specifically through the ANSI or AMI EQ56, which is recommended practices for a medical equipment management plan. We just went over federal regulations, primarily referring to the FDA regulations. We talked about state regulations. We talked about CMS and its standards related to medical equipment management and deemed organizations and how they relate to CMS. We also touched on IT aspects of our regulatory framework, and we briefly talked about how all of these pieces need to be wrapped into a single quality management system for your medical equipment management program. There are other specialty accreditations involved in the regulatory framework. There are things such as the NFPA and CLIA and MQSA that we didn't touch on. And really, the HTM regulatory framework becomes very complex when you get into all the nuances of the regulatory bodies and the agencies involved in medical equipment regulation. 
The key isn't to necessarily memorize every single regulation related to medical equipment. The key is to really understand where to look for these regulations and understand what jurisdiction you fall under in your particular institution.